I said, empty your mind. Be formless, shapeless, like water. It's about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. Join movement expert Aaron Alexander as he dives into the minds of the foremost innovative healthcare thinkers and movement masters on their approach to optimal health and wellness. Align Podcast. And the heart specialist looks only at your heart because he can't understand anything else. The otorhinolaryngologist, which means an ear, nose, and throat man, looks at that section of you and he doesn't know about anything else. And maybe a psychiatrist takes a look at you and uh, goodness knows what happens there. And so on and so on. Everybody looks at you from their specialized point of view as if they were a bunch of mechanics examining your automobile. Because, as I said last night, we, we just asked for this. Because most of us consider ourselves as chauffeurs inside our bodies, which we own in the same way as you own a car. And when it goes wrong, you take it to the mechanic to fix it. You don't really identify with your body, just as you don't really identify with your car. Welcome back to the Live Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. And today, I chatted with... Dr. Kelly Starrett for the segundo vez in this podcast history, which is just fantastic because he ranks up there on my list of man crushes. So appreciate him coming on. Really, really fantastic conversation today. One of the things I like, especially about Kelly's approach to fitness, health, nutrition, movement, all that stuff, is he has this amazing knack for simplifying complex theories. I think there's an interesting inverse relationship that we see. It's almost like the more complex someone makes some subject or topic, I think the less they understand, and sometimes we shroud it with big, ridiculous, polysyllabic words, when really, if you don't know how to break down and create a visual picture of said polysyllabic word, I don't think you have any right using it. And uh, I think that Kelly's just great with really simplifying everything, and that's what we do in this conversation get into fundamentals, what it means to be a human, the psychology of movement. And don't forget, most importantly, we get into little sweet old ladies doing qigong at the bus stop. There's a little old Chinese lady doing you know, you know, qigong at the bus stop. She's throwing her arms around and I'm like, damn, look at that woman's internal rotation. Like, she's worked it out. And, uh, and it's, like, it's something she's doing at the bus stop. You know, it's a throwaway. You know, I'm like, hey, I can just, you know, be moving around a little bit. And it's amazing. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to this conversation. Hopefully, we can get Kelly on here for a third time if he doesn't get fed up with my ridiculous new age antics. Uh, really, really fun. Um, please and thank you. Utilize the website aligntherapy.com. On there, you find the self care kit, foam roller, hollow inside ball, bounds, door anchor, uh, video guide, ebook course on how to use that little sucker. Keep those tissues hydrated, silky smooth, sliding surfaces of what we're looking for. Align them joints, align that connective tissue, occupy your body in a way so that every moment is a therapeutic opportunity. Get freaking in your body. 
Thank you so much for subscribing, sharing, and if you feel compelled to leave five-star review on iTunes or whatever medium you're listening to, greatly appreciate that. I really mean it. And just want y'all to know that I truly care about every one of these episodes. I think of them almost like their their own song, its own meaning and intention, like a, an artistic expression about the human experience of sorts. And uh, as all the episodes together is almost like an album or telling a story about something. I'm not sure what exactly, but the story's unfolding. <laughs> and I greatly, greatly appreciate y'all coming along for the ride. Muchísimo gracias, shukran. Danke, merci beaucoup. Here we go back to Dr. Kale Staurektau. Podcast. Even, even just now, I was in an infrared sauna before I came over here, and there was a person that was kind of like slouched up in the sauna as they're doing it. I'm like, this is great that we're in the sauna. This is sweet, but we could be squatting. We could be doing a lotus. We could be like working overhead flexion. Like we have options, but we're still, even when we're in the healing center, we're still kind of stuck perpetuating those busted patterns. That's what I want to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Perfect, perfect. We'll un- unleash it. Let's go. I'm totally down. We're already unleashed, man. We're going. We're- oh, fantastic. Are we doing uh, – we've got the video. Well, let's talk about it. You know, yeah. um, the short thing is I think conceptually people get confused because now it seems like we're adding in one more like thing you have to do, right? right. So you're like, okay, I've got to exercise and I have to eat this and my magnesium's low and da 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 and wah. And, and, and you know, it, it's hard – Sometimes we feel like the fitness space is a shitty, crowded space, right? There are so many streams of information that if you're just a casual user, there's so much data flowing past you that you, you know, it's it's overwhelming. What we want to do, I think, is useful is to take a a thirty thousand foot view, like step back, and let's say first and foremost, as a human animal, you know, and and I, I and let me just be let me preface this by saying. We probably should not romanticize Paleolithic man. Like that's not a good rationale, right? But what is it about our physiology that needs to be respected in the way we're living our day, right? So you can start to get into some basics around that. And that is one, hey, your physiology is designed to constantly be in motion. And what we know is, you know, in order for your lymphatics to work, Right, you've got to have muscle contraction that dumps your lymphatics. Your lymphatic system is part of your immune system. It it drains, you know, swollen tissues, it congested tissues, the whole thing, and it's a passive mechanical system that's based on muscle contraction. And if you don't move, aka you're sedentary, then that system doesn't work. And so suddenly you're like, oh, okay, well, how do I get more movement in the day, right? And now you can be thinking, okay, well, what are the pieces around my day? that I can't help. I'm on the bus, can't help it. Well, maybe I can stand. But I'm in my car. I'm, I have to sit in some kind of board meeting. I can't be that nerd in the back standing up, right? I'm going to go on a date tonight with my wife, and we are probably going to sit down at a restaurant because there are very few standing restaurants, right? right? So there are these places in your life where it's called, we call it non-optional sitting. Like You're going to have to violate the thing that makes you human. And by the way, sitting on the floor is a completely valid valid way because you still have mechanics that support your spine engaged, you're taking yourself through full range, but sitting in a chair 
is a disaster around the not movement. It's also a disaster around the fact that all of the systems that we're using to support our spines and trunks and head and diaphragm are suddenly not onboarded. And what we ends up happening is that we look, end up looking for solutions. And those solutions either are, we're going to take our pelvis and crank it forward so we're overextended all the time or we're going to slouch and end up hanging on the soft tissues of our backs, right? And, on, and, then, and then the neck is going to orientate itself. And what we see is that a lot of the problems in the strength conditioning world end up being, we end up having to undo a lot of base conversation around position, right? If you're rounded, not only is your diaphragm compromised and your pelvic floor is compromised and your breathing mechanic is compromised and the air tube into your head is compromised and your neural mechanic, I mean, check, 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 check. You can't put your arm over your head. And we're not saying that these postures will necessarily lead to pain, but we can say unequivocally that this disorganized or compensated posture, which is the body trying to solve a problem, is less functionally optimal. It means that it's going to, I'm going to pay a tax on my ability as a human being, and I might either pay it now or I'm going to pay it in the future. So right. once again, sure, it's like saying, yeah, you can smoke a little bit. Yeah, cloves are just cloves, right? It doesn't really get you in the – it's not a problem, but it may be a problem someday, and it may affect your ability to, to feel better and optimize. And if you look at the research around body position and neurochemistry, you know, like power positions, raise testosterone, and you know, and, you know, and you feel better, you know? The key is that I think it's easy for us to become so hyper-reductionist and say we doesn't matter because these other things matter more versus saying, hey, these are integrated systems and that if you smile, which is a mechanical position, your brain feels better right? right. and yeah. you start to feel happy and those things are related and when you are in a better position, magically everything starts to upregulate and forget all the physiology, forget all the other things. What we need to think is what is it I'm, as a, as a, I'm supposed to do as a human – what is it about my environment that, I, that are easy tweaks that I don't have to think about, right? How do I get more movement in during the day? Yeah. Problem yeah, solved. Yeah, absolutely. And all that stuff that you're saying, it's like osteopathy 101, essentially. You know, Andrew, Andrew Still is like, he, one of the things that he mentioned is that most all the pathologies that we're looking at in the body could somehow be derived through some type of diaphragmatic dysfunction. You know, if you, have, if you are, are pinching off the, the tubes that are perforating through the diaphragm, being the aorta, the vena cava, all the veins and all the nerves, and, you know, it's like, and that is just a fractal of what's happening in the pelvic floor of what's happening in the knee, of what's happening in the plantar fascia, you know? And in, like in the rolfing world, we talk, we talk about diaphragms being more than just the respiratory diaphragm, oh, but you gosh. also have your thoracic inlet. You also have your, you know, it's like so on down, down the chain, stacking up these layers. If we can do that, then all of a sudden the system upregulates. But what we're doing is we're dumping all of these buckets into each other, and then we have a mess. You know, and it's, that's, I feel like that's well, and what you're, you're right. And at. you know, the, the analogy is that, you know, somehow because the human being is so, such an adaptation, wonderful adaptation machine, right? You can eat McDonald's and eat a little chocolate donut once in a while and still have a gold medal. Right. I mean, like the human body is badass. And it, it's, thank goodness that we have these adaptation, you know, built in. I mean, I always point out that I'm like, look, the opposite of the stable shoulder position for the front rack is this internally rotated position. And thank goodness that the capsules internally rotate at the shoulders so that I can always feed myself and manipulate and bring stuff to my mouth. Right. You know what I mean? Like the body is wound up so that even if I've gotten stiff in these full range mechanics, like I can still feed, right? 
and until something happens that's so you know critical, so many steps down the line that I couldn't feed myself, it becomes a problem. Right. And I think that is allegory for the fact that most of us are thinking in this short term. It's really difficult to be thinking in long term in terms of, you know, this. There's a concept um, by a uh, amazing philosopher, sociologist, professor named Charles Perrow, and he calls it a normal accident, and that the systems are so complex and the interplay in the complexity of the system is so difficult to diagnose that it's hard to see direct correlation, right? And he says what we should expect because the system is so complex that it, we should expect what we call these normal accidents, that we should look for this and anticipate this, right? right. Because he's like the idea is there's a self-organizing criticality around these complex systems and the body is another complex system. And if you just give that complex system enough time, the, the, the criticality will express itself, right, mm. as a normal accident. Mm. And so when we even use the word posture, right, posture is a Latin derivative of a word that means position. Yeah. And what we've done is we've even separated the language of like, hey, if I was like, yeah, I have really crappy position, I kind of brag about it. My mom has been telling me about my position for decades, yeah. right? That sounds really different than, yeah, I have bad posture and no big deal because we've like de-emphasized the word posture a little bit. Instead of what we're talking about is the fundamental organizing organization of your nervous system, like the thing that makes us a human being in the first place. Right. And, you know, what we have to be doing is be thinking we have to be able to tell a story from the child all the way to the Olympic athlete, all the way to the freestyle athlete, the, the, the elderly back into my teenager, back into moms and dads, needs to be a contiguous story. And if we can't connect the dots about respiration efficiency, intra-abdominal pressure, right. better head alignment, and some of the pathologies we see around, you know, I, I don't have to be a genius to be saying, hey, look, I've noticed that you've worn a hole, you know, in this disc because you move like crap. Boy, huh, you move like crap, you've destroyed this disc. I can't say one-to-one, -one, but it's interesting that they relate to each other. But we should be able to feather those, all of those lessons backwards into, well, what is, you know, what is it a human being should be, should be able to do? And it doesn't mean I have to be rigid and in a dance space all the time. Right. But it does mean that there are some principles about the way the human is organized that shouldn't require daily external maintenance from a human, another human being. I shouldn't have to see a Cairo. I shouldn't have to see a physical therapist. I should have to see a Rolfer every single day. Yeah. And what we know is that the more efficiently you move, the less fewer problems you have, right? I mean, it's this idea. And that the more mechanically restrained and tightly coupled the system is, the more criticality the system expresses. Right. And we're going to have to get into a conversation about lifestyle and nutrition and stress and breathing. Why? Because you may not have a breathing practice, but you're breathing in a certain strategy all day long, whether you're conscious of it or not. And we're going to talk about it because you're doing it. So what are we talking about here? And I think when we start to the idea that, hey, we can talk to you around sitting on any level that's important to you. Like, what, let's, let's talk about your ego. Because if I'm like, hey, you might have a little camel hump here when you're 60 or like whatever. I'm the most elite, beautiful camel there is. But I'm like, <laughs> hey, if you stand at your workstation, you know you could burn an additional 100,000 calories a year. And people are like, what? Right. 100,000 calories. I'm like, or you can just run 22 marathons or you can burn 100,000 calories doing nothing. Yeah. So you can actually physically change your body mass index, which is what we're seeing in the research with kids. That kids who stand at standing work desks, all of a sudden, 
they don't follow the national trend where they add 2% body mass index changes positive where they get fatter and fatter and fatter. They actually minus two over the course of the year, which is a delta of four. So we can actually be like, oh, oh what testing and, and, and productivity matters to you? Well, it turns out movements like you know your sitting brain does not think the same way that your standing brain does. Right. And the research is that kids are doing upwards of 200 points higher in the SAT. Um, the, the work output when it's tracked in corporate situations is insane. It can be like two to one in terms of, you know, productivity. Like, what do you want to talk about? Oh, pelvic floor dysfunction that the, the American diaper industry is a $2 billion industry. I mean, let's, let's take off any one of those things and then be like, Hey, how are these things related? What's the consilience of this? What's the, what are the big patterns that are overlaying all of these seemingly disparate concepts? I mean, this is the concept of induction, Sir Francis Bacon scientific model 101. And what we're seeing is, hey, what is the what is the normalcy? Why are people heel striking? It turns out, what's the thing we're all doing all day long sitting? Right. And the CDC has even come out and said, if you sit more than six hours a day, which is a lot of us do, just inadvertently, you live a sedentary lifestyle, whether or not you're an elite athlete or not. Yeah. It's a disaster. Yeah. So I was hanging out with my buddy yesterday, and we're out in the deck, and. I'm standing up on top of the deck and I'm looking down and he's hanging out with his kid and his kid's 14 months old and he's amazing. And what I see is he's wobbling around the world and he's coming into these full beautiful squats, flat footed and then coming up and then he literally falls down a hill, rolls down it beautifully, like immaculate. You know, and what I'm seeing is I'm seeing all of this proprioception and all this, he's practicing movement. Right, he's 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 developing his movement structure just through moving creatively through his environment. And then, meanwhile, I'm looking back at myself, and I'm looking back at my buddy, and I'm always kind of doing some kind of weirdness, but not weird enough, I think. You know, because I'm I'm still standing is easy, you know, sitting is easy. We can add another layer of creativity and fun to our environment, and then we'll have earned our food. We'll have earned our rest. Right. We have to. We live in this. My friend Matt Vincent always said he's a world champion, you know, uh, Highland Games guy, thrower at LSU, all American, super stud. And he's always pointing out, he's like, Yeah, I have to recreate the rigors of my former self so that I can, you know, drink this bourbon, you know, and right. just to your, to, to your point. And that really starts to begin an interesting question. Then, well, what is it? What's a good movement practice look like? You know, and well, if you suddenly apply this level of thinking of saying, Hey, what are the, what's the human being supposed to do? And how can I do it in the context of being a modern human where maybe an environmental demand where I had to squat all the time and pick things up and carry them and walk 5K and you know just background movement, wouldn't that naturally develop the human being efficiently? Climbing a tree. Erwan LaCour yeah. uses this classic example of, hey, you know, that you know, climbing is one of those things he can tell, like pull-ups and climbing a tree don't necessarily correlate. If you teach the principles behind why you're pulling up, then I should be able to translate that formalness to the environment. You know, uh, Rafe Kelly, gr a great uh, parkourist, he's like, he noticed that kids who had a tree in their backyard growing up have no problem with pull-ups, right? Pull up, yeah. That environment climbing begets function. But we can now take that idea because I'm like, what happens if I live in New York City, bro? I can't go to the park. So how do I artificially create that? Does it mean that, a, boy, my, my movement practice better be a physical practice that exposes all of those skills? Yeah. And then now we can have an 
an honest conversation of, well, what if I have an hour? What if I don't have four hours? Am I going to be able to do two and a half hours? You know, I mean, some of the guys out there preaching, you know, it takes two and a half hours or three hours to do their work. And that's going to be difficult. And by the way, you're also missing some metabolic conditioning there and basic strengthening. And what we're seeing is now we can pan back out of that really myopic view of what, what is it I should be doing every day. And you, at least you can say, well, what can I control that doesn't make that worse? What are the minimum therapeutic doses of some cardiorespiratory demand? How do I need to do some tumbling? And I can see why coaches freak out. Like you're still doing handstands up against the wall. Like you can't even do a freestanding handstand yet. Like isn't that the goal? What do you mean you can't roll forwards or backwards? Like how are you going to fall? What are, what are you practicing, right? When you, you know, and, but now we need to be able to put that back into the context of how do I manage this as a busy working person? What are all those constituent components? So that, because I can't be an expert in, programming but i can be an expert in my body and i can dedicate to a practice and now we're starting to see the evolution of well how do i fit all these very high concepts into the workings of every mom and dad right and that's that's what i think we need to get out you know that's where we have to be sort of reorientating our brains and so i think the issue is it's we spend so much time as you know as people or as teachers or whatever at like pontificating over the principles and like this you know if we do this and if we do that and if we do that but i think the big issue is you know, you studied your doctoral work was in barriers to adherence i believe right and so the big issue is what are all of the factors in my life that are setting me up for failure Right. You know, and so it's like I, I truly believe and this is, you know, sometimes I get out to like some crystal new age stuff, but I truly believe we can spontaneously change any aspect of ourselves. Look at people oh, yeah. with multiple personalities. You know, they can change their blood pressure. They can get rashes. They can change their vision. I was we just having I was just having a conversation about with one of our really good physician friends about the role of consciousness like placebo works like 30 to 40 percent of the time. Across any discipline, across any disease state, across anything that you want to do, right. you know, it matters. And what's interesting is that, boy, now we're starting to seem like, is this Dragon Ball Z force, you know, like new agey stuff? Or what is it about the human practice, you know, see your future, be your future? What is the perception of self? And, and then how do we scale that? My, one of my big acid tests is, you know, how do I create practice that works for children and adults. You've got to show me that we can show this in a continuum, that I don't always have to take my whole family out of our society and go to an ashram in India for three months, right? Because that's not sustainable, right? And everyone thrives when you're getting amazing attention. And But like, what's the daily practice? And I, you know, we both agreed after this very, you know, high concept esoteric conversation that probably before enlightenment, it's chop wood, carry water, you know, yeah. and then after enlightenment, it's chop wood, Same carry thing. water, right? right? You know what I mean? And I, I think, you know, these are the interesting things, you know, how, what, what is the ultimate practice look like? And we're living this conversation with my daughters, you know, right. how do I, if I think I have this concept of what makes good physical machines, right? Like beings that are robust and stable, you know, how many conversations have you had in nutrition with people and they're like, yeah, I'm elite, I'm a pay. I'm like, how many, how many fistfuls of vegetables have you eaten today? And they're like, I didn't eat any vegetables today. I'm like, right. So now you're acidic as all get out. I'm like, you're eating out of a plastic tube. I mean, really? You know what I mean? Like John Berardi, I feel like, is one of my favorite guys in precision nutrition because he's simplified the system. Like eating six to eight fists of vegetables every day 
just how's that going for you? Did you eat six to eight fists of vegetables today? And if you didn't, why not? And what are we even talking about? You know, like let's look at how much protein you ate relative to the vegetables you ate and relative to your body weight. Like, you know, before you even get all fancy, what are the first principles? Like, if yeah. you can't walk a 10K fast, <clears throat> what's wrong with you? If you can't go run a mile barefoot, I'm like, red flag. Right. You know, I'm not fast, but run a mile barefoot, you know? So I think it, it, I just had this conversation with um, this writer from outside. Um, but like, is there a fitness, like, is there a test for fitness, right? Like, can, can we say that? Everyone's like, oh, it's environmental context. I'm like, well, is it? I mean, should you be able to, you know, squat down safely without your knees wobbling and your back reversing? You know I mean? Should you be able to do that as a human? Is that a fitness test? Right. Because one of the things that we're, we're trying to expand on the definitions of fitness is I'm saying, hey, look, if you are missing cardinal ranges of motion in your ankle, I know you can be express force and production, but I'm, I'm still thinking that's incomplete because I want to create a ready state for the human that doesn't have a whole bunch of red flag holes that just pop up on a long hike or a walk or I squat down and, and or I'm under load or stressed or dehydrated, right? I should give myself as much tolerance and bufferance as I can in my mechanical physical self so that I can make errors, the, yeah. you know, unforced errors as a human. Yeah. And that means that I probably have to be looking at my ankles once in a while and maybe I should be walking around barefoot and maybe I should not wear high heel shoes all the time. And, you know, it, it just, again, if we take this 30,000 foot view, then we can start to ask the questions, what is it we should, what's, what's it look like day to day? You know, and I think this is really the issue. And at the bottom, you know, of, you know, Deskbound, which comes out here in like three weeks, is we really tried to answer a question. Is there a basic template for people to understand how to move and carry? And, you know, standing alone isn't the answer. Standing well and moving is the answer, right? But people don't even know how to sequence or organize their spines. They're just like, okay, now I'm standing up and everything hurts all the time. And how do I address that? And, you know, this is the greater gestaltist question. You know, do we all need to be elite athletes? No, but if you can't carry someone or, you know, walk or carry a heavy backpack for 10K, you know, are we human? Yeah. You know, and so what I like about your approach with adding weight to the system, you know, is because it gives us a reference point of, oh, that's wrong or, oh, that's right. You know, it's, it's, I can stand in any which weird freaked up position and it's like, this feels right, right? It's because all you have is gravity. You know, gravity is not enough to and, give you those, those flares. That's right. And the biology that is tolerant, right? That's in those it. unloaded positions. Right. You know, and people are like, well, you know, do you have to be formal with your spinal time? I'm like, no, go to like some contemporary dance. Your spine right. should be flexible and like a whip and, and you should be able to tumble. But like when it's time to load axially, you better have a plan for creating stiffness, right? right? right. And that's one of the things that we say is that like, you know, hey, I know you can bend down and grab your pillow with that rounded crappy back position for a long time until that one time where you can't. Yeah. Right. Or or that doesn't scale when you have to pick up the car off your daughter or, you know, Hulk style or, you know, I mean, so at some point, I think what we're realizing is that, you know, good physical mechanics are a taught expression. The environment would help develop those practices. You know, I wouldn't see as many deficiencies in a human being that was growing up Tarzan style, but it's still a learned experience. And they still model that like the you know, Chris McDougall, who wrote Ready to Run, is a mate of ours. You know, and he, when he went into that, you know, with those indigenous people, you know, in Mexico running, you know, they had a game that they've had the kids play where they had to play like a little game of soccer. Yeah. 
And they had to kick a ball down the trail and it forced them to take tiny little steps all the time instead of running like max. So they had to always be running. They built tolerance in the foot position and they're always on these. And so codified into the culture was this background of teaching, you know, and, and suddenly you're like, well, shoot, huh? Wonder what happens when I put my kid in a car seat with, you know, flex position is never on the ground. I carry my kid around this car seat all the time. And so you're like, holy crap, what other mistakes or what inefficiencies are we programming because we're not conscious around it? Right. And so, you know, thinking about what it is the human should do, and you know, and, and then what are you doing? And the first thing is quit sitting down all the time. Yeah. And then if you are sitting down, learn how to sit because sitting is a skill. So is standing. Totally. Right. You know, and, and that's it's, it's what we and you're going to have to sit. Right. Yeah. Sitting's a part. And then that's the big thing is we don't get this education. It's nobody's fault. You know, it's not, it's not. And when you start pointing fingers at people, that's when you become defensive and you start embracing your valgus knees and your pronated feet. Cause it's like, you know what? Screw you because you know, I don't like you. And so I don't like your opinions. And so what we do is we put kids into these desks and you, you say all the time around like first grade, you know, we see their whole entire body start to shift from being these jungle Tarzan movers. And then they go through the 12 years of education or, or longer than that. And then the buses and the planes and et cetera, et cetera. And then we try to put them through advanced movement techniques and they're not ready. They need to relearn how to crawl, how to squat, how to contralaterally move because they abandoned it. Right? right, so that's that's yeah, what deskbound is. I, I oh. think I, I assume I haven't read it no. yet, but I assume. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's really the, the idea. Is you know, you know, so okay, if if that's the application, we're seeing that I can create a movement-rich environment in which I avoid a lot of dysfunction and I get better better function. Then, well, where do I start to apply that? When, so it's obvious to us. You know, our daughters are both at the first all-standing school in the world. Amazing, and um. You know, and and we now through we're partnered with Donors Choose, and we now in the in the last year plus we've been in a partnership with them. We have about twenty thousand kids at public schools standing now. Awesome. And you know, this is a little small piece where we're starting to see. Okay, well, we have to have a sort of intellectual conversation. Well, what's the functional unit? Well, the functional unit in our mind is pretty much the, the elementary school teacher. You know, they're spending a ton of time with your kids. If they can teach your kids to read, they can teach your kids to squat. Mm. That means we just have to conceptualize how we think about delivering some of these movement skills. Because what we said there, you know, as long as you play lots of sports, it'll work itself out. Right. You know, what we knew is that kids who had more diverse movement challenges and tasks because they played multiple sports were better problem solvers, better movements because we just created environment demands that forced children to develop additional skills. But what if we had some formality on top of that and kids were in a conversation all the time about swimming and I play a hand ice sport and I ski with my family and you know and all of a sudden you're like, well, I have this movement rich person. On top of that, of course, is that we have so conjoined movement and sport not as physical development, right? But we see it as, you know, opportunity to make money you know we have professionalized kids sports so badly and we've sort of lost the idea of what the point is you know i i look I'm, i don't care who you are your kids should be playing some kind of sport team lessons right it's just like the human animal thing right, right. and or being dance or gymnastics sports right that's what i'm talking about like a, a codified formal movement experience yeah. 
And, you know, people talk oftentimes about taking high school football out of And I'm like, whoa, 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 there's a whole bunch of heavy kids on my team. That was the first time they got into the weight room. That was when they were on team. That was when they were forced to move. So we have to be making sure that we're creating the environment. And then we have to make sure that our kids are coming in physically literate. And they're not. We're seeing the, the erosion of literacy because we're fighting the iPad. We're fighting the, the Xbox. We're sitting more. Right. It's, it's shocking. And, I, you know, this isn't us. This is the CDC. That, you know, Australia has viewed the sedentary lifestyle as number one public health problem. The CDC ranked sedentary lifestyle, which is allegory for sitting, right, as the fourth largest killer globally. And, you know, we're going to have to see where are the places where we can just make changes. Watch what Jamie Oliver has done. Even CrossFit, Greg Glassman, taking on Coke, making it, you know, saying, hey, look, those are those little things. Why aren't we talking differently about soda? Yeah. But if we, if we look at places where we don't have to have big, high intellectual conversations about nutrition or, you know, Jamie Oliver going in, and it's really hard to change people's diets and behavior. But you know what's easy? Not sitting. No, and so for us, it ends up being one of those blocked practices where the kids come in. They're not standing. They're they have a desk that has a fidget bar. They can sit, like they can they can sit on the floor, and they're in constant flux. And now you've just created movement options, which already undoes two thirds of the problem. You know, because you don't have to believe in it; it believes in you. Right. And what you're talking about in regards to specialization and such is it was I was getting this image of back in like seventh grade when we were learning how to type on the keyboard. And I was I was able to type this one sentence. It like came out. So I would be able to type like eight million words a minute or whatever it is because I could just crush this this little paragraph, you know, and that's what we're doing as opposed to, you know, movement is a language. Right. You know, and so your ability to speak well is your ability to think on your feet and your ability to adapt to any conversation. Oh, adaption. You know, we a lot of our friends and I have come to believe that when we you're like, what makes a great athlete? We're like the person who can pick up the new skill the fastest. Who is the most the physical learning? Right. It is, of course, you know, and and so what we're looking at is what is the transferability of your training? Right. And how does that improve? day to day so that the gym or your physical practice, you know, Barry's boot camp, soul cycle, whatever it is you're doing, right. how does that translate over well? You know, and suddenly you're like, ooh, soul cycle. Like that's the hardest workout I've ever done, but it's very low skill and very high physiology. So I might be cardio protective, but I have not, you know, challenged myself moving. Right. And and what we have confused in the last 10 years is working harder. And clearly we've we've seen that we can all work harder and squat and deadlift. But now we can start talking about why and how much and what other the things that I need to do. Yeah. You know, and I think we've we've you know, I've said this a million times. I think the yogis were trying to solve this problem. I think Joseph Pilates is trying to solve this problem. You know, early on, you know, you've got stall bars in there and you're like, well, if you're a dancer, you know, you're probably you're going to learn some formality if you were, you know, good karate. But what is it about karate? What is it about dance? What is it about gymnastics that teaches you these fundamental principles that that scale? And this is a, this is the the big intellectual conversation. What does it mean to be a modern human when we see that? You know, I always point out on the sand desk to the especially to the districts. I'm like, look, technology is not going away. You can put your head in the sand and pretend like it's not there, but we better adopt standards that automatically protect kids. So if your kids are at a standing desk and on a laptop or an iPad, they're automatically in a better shape. Right. You know, put put it down, they're sitting and you're gonna have to remind them 10X the same way you have to teach every adult to not slouch and bring in. And look at the, the ergonomics industry. It's a billion dollar industry, trillion dollar industry of hey your you know your mouse is moving it over and 
know, we're trying to make these very complex motor skills map dysfunctional environmental positions, yeah. right? And it's never going to work. It's never going to work. And I think it's interesting, you know, it's like, I, I don't think there's a single person in the world that would not uh, be inclined to say, yeah, I would love to be an adaptable, fluid, uh, structurally integrated thinker, right? And mover. But the thinker part, it's, it's easy to say because it's inside your head. No one needs to see you get a little funny, Right. But when you're living in a world that's not very dynamic, that's not very integrated, then and you want to say, you know what, I want to move a little bit more powerful than the other people that are around me right now. You will be judged. Right. And it's Seth Godin says you'll either be judged or forgotten, I think, is a, is a quote from <laughs> right, him. Right. right? right. And, and we're not willing to go outside of that barrier. But I think that if we can start to think of our bodies and our toes and our elbows and all these joints as an expression of our mind, and then the way that you move through that body is an expression of how you think, then I think that if we could really get that, I feel like we might get a little bit of shift. But making that transition, it's scary because now you're showing yourself and people don't want to be right. seen. Well, you know, and we certainly, we, no one likes to be, you know, a beginner in acquiring new skills. That is, a, you know, if we even take CrossFit, you know, we have this amazing gym where people come in and we're like, this is a rope. And they're like, I've never climbed a rope. And I'm like, well, you will. And you will with your heart rate high you know, when it right. matters most. And because we're going to challenge your skills with some, you know, cars per demand, you know, but after a while, you know, the rope is really just a different version of step aerobics, right? They've memorized the rope. Exactly. And, you know, now I'm like, well, show me what else you can do with that. And, you know, I think, I think to your point, you know, we don't like to be beginners, it's a really uncomfortable and amazing phase, you know, and we've forgotten that, you know, the central tenet is that we should be picking up new skills all the time, you know, and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah okay, that makes sense. My grandma is like trying to learn Spanish when she's 70 so she doesn't get Alzheimer's. Like, oh, yes, translates there too. You know, with that in mind, though, there has to be a safe place where we can, we can develop these skills and we can make failures, you know, and that's why, you know, when I go and lecture at professional teams, I'm like, look, the strength and conditioning component to this professional team is the place where people can refine skills and make mistakes and not be penalized. You know, and to your point that we really try not to be judgmental, it's crucial that people understand that. We don't know what your injury history is. We don't know what your movement history is. You could have been kept in a box, tortured in Vietnam. We don't, like, now you're really stiff because of it. And so, look, we're just going to find you today. You might have had a baby and you haven't slept in four months and you've been traveling back and forth to China for work every other week. Like, you're going to look like crap. Right comma, let's find it and let's begin. And, and you know, to the effect, to the, to the point that we'll never solve it all in one day is also the other key concept that all we need to do today is practice a little bit and we'll get the rest of it tomorrow. Right. You know, consistency before being heroic. Yeah. I want to get back to the desk bound. There's this one thing that you, and you said, talked about old ladies getting creative. Um, there was something I was reading about recently. Super word. I've been excited to say on the podcast, transient hypofrontality. Right. And what that, boom, and what that, what that is, is essentially when we start to downregulate our frontal cortex a little bit, get out of our analytical mind. So many of us are so focused. I mean, you can even look at this with like peripheral vision. Utilizing your peripheral vision starts to take you into a broader, expansive perspective or, or usage of your brain, as opposed to being always zeroed in like a shark with a laser beam. Right. And what we can see, I, just relating that back to movement, how it affects your mind. And I think that. 
If we can go and start doing things like try dancing, try martial arts, try hiking a trail barefoot and start to kind of test those systems, take it a little bit more dynamic ranges of motion, it will impact our brain in a really, really in a great way that could lead to things like more creativity. But I want to talk about desk bound. That's <laughs> well, you know, you know, but you know, the desk we are talking about desk bound because right. To your point is how am I continually challenging or using my availability? You know, um, you know, we we end up, you know, this is a, a micro example. I'm like, hey, look, if I take your hip into flexion, if you lay down, I bring your knee to your chest, right? I should be able to easily internally and externally rotate your leg, like 65 degrees of external rotation at least. I like to have 30 degrees of internal rotation. So let's just say a hip window of at least 90 degrees of motion. What we find is that most people's range of motion, their hip is like four degrees, three degrees. My athletes is like right. there's no range where they're not into tension, right? And what ends up happening is that you can still be in the NFL and have this little tiny hip range of motion and still kick ass, but that's not what you're supposed to do. And I think the idea are, you know, what happens if that's my my vision? Well, what it, what it means is you probably should go outside and walk around and look around. That's as simple. But we're all on the screen, on the other screen, back to the screen. You know, and we've learned this lesson. And you talk to inmates in you know isolation, their vision deteriorates because they always have a fixed goal, fixed length. They can't focus wide. So what do my friends do? My friends have stopped wearing sunglasses. Yeah. Right? They're focusing their eyes, making their eyes work really hard. And sometimes they have to squint. And you know, unless they're driving in the car and it's bad, glare, and dangerous, they'll put a pair of they keep a pair of sunglasses on, or they're just getting baked on the snow. But otherwise. They're, they want to make sure that their eyes are doing what eyes are supposed to do. And right. it's one of those ideas about, well, hey, what is it that I was normally supposed to do? And then what are the easy places? You know what's easy? Not wearing sunglasses. That's yeah. easy. You know what's easy? Don't just sit down automatically. You know, look for opportunities to remove some of those things. When you sit down, you should feel great. You should totally sit. It's no big deal. Right. I watch tea with my wife. I sit on the floor in front of our beautiful mid-century modern couch. Yeah. She sits cross-legged on the couch, right? My kids. Right. So you can make these little decisions about the physiology. And chances are, because the human being is so amazing, that if you just make small inputs, it'll seem, ma- it'll seem massive downstream outputs. Right. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I, I say to all my clients. I, I think probably most of the clients is, you know, make your environment fit to you as opposed to you fitting to the environment. Right, uh-huh. you know, well, maybe the opposite of that, right? So, so if you have a couch, if you have a bus, if you have a plane, whatever it may be, you don't need to necessarily fold into that broken bucket seat position just because that's the way it is, right? You can fit your optimal expression of yourself to that. You can throw a bottle between your thoracic spine, right? You can open up your pelvis, and you can. There's all sorts of little factors that you can throw in that all of a sudden, yeah, the environment is fitting a more effective version of you. You don't need to become you know, a, a collapsed, you know, homo collapsis. You don't need to fall apart just because homo that's what the- too. That's so good. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and I think, you know, you know, one of the things that, um, has really shaped the way I talk is, you know, and I'm like, Hey, look, I don't think coming to the gym and laying down on a foam roller is a good way to respect your time, right. get prepared mentally, get hot and sweaty, prep movements, learn a skill, like save your soft tissue work before you go to bed. Because we actually get this little parasympathetic kick, like doing a little soft tissue work before you fall asleep, helps you to downregulate and chill out and turn off. Yeah. Right? You start to you get your body some cues that it's time to relax. And I know you have ten minutes before you go to bed, 
So suddenly we can start to feather that in. We just did a video. I think we even put it out. We called it the adaptation cycle. Mm. But it was like this 24 hours of like, what's a 24-hour cycle look like? Well, how do I you know, clean up my sleep hygiene? How do I, you know, first thing in the morning, like we like to chug a little salty lemon water. Poop, you know, and then I'm already into my day. And then you can suddenly see where you're going to fit this in over the course of many, 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 many years. Not I'm going to – there's going to be some moment – where someone grabs me out and I go live in some you know camp, right? And I just fix everything and then try to put it back. It's got to be dose and response and dose and response. But changing your consciousness around it is the deal. You know, we don't bring our phones into the bedroom, right? right? That's a that's a hard fast rule in our house. And why? Because it's there, and if it's there, it's going to beep, and we're going to turn it on, we're going to look something up, or you know, and suddenly I'm just nuking myself and make it hard for me to go to sleep, right? But it's just easier to say, hey, my sleeping is important. Let me get this phone out of my bedroom. And now that I'm knowing that, it's not another thing I have to do. The phone just doesn't ever come in the bedroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what we want people to think about in terms of their environment and around being desktop. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's like we need to look at, you know, the, the proper function positioning as we're going through a deadlift. And then we need to think about how we put the weights back on the rack. And then we need to think about how we get out of the car to go to the gym. And then so on and so forth until you get to the point where you're turning every aspect of your life into a therapeutic opportunity. And something I'm curious with you is you've traveled the world, you know, and so you've gotten to see a lot of different cultures and the way that their body language affects their physiology. You know, and that's something that I'm super fascinated by. You know, you, you go to Italy and you see people like, oh, the pizza pie and your, your arms are up. You know, it's like, what we don't realize is that's exercise. When you're in this, you know, monk-like position there, you're collapsing under pericardium, et cetera, we, et cetera. We live in San Francisco. Drive past any bus stop. There's a little old Chinese lady doing, you know, you know qigong at the bus stop. She's right. throwing her arms around. And I'm like, Damn. Look at that woman's internal rotation. Like she's worked it out, and uh, and it's, just, it's something she's doing at the bus stop. You know, it's a throwaway. You know, right. I'm like, hey, I can just you know be moving around a little bit, and it's amazing. You know, my my mother-in-law's husband um, is from Hong Kong, and we just had Easter dinner last night, and she is 95 years old, has never owned a car, her whole life has always walked, and at 95 squats independently. Hauls ass, doesn't, I mean, she has a little walker for help and like, you know, but like she is taller and more upright and functioning. And I'm like, she's 95. Right. And when you see her, she's working on her balance and, and, you know, suddenly you're like, oh, she's just practicing being a human. And she's gotten, you know, she, because she's always squatting and she lives independently and she has to walk along a long hall to get to her room from the elevator, you know, that non-exercise activity is there, you know. We make a lot of decisions. You know, people are training harder than they've ever trained in their whole lives. You know, that that is a gift of the internet, right? The outputs of pe the average person now is very, very high. But if you shut it down the rest of the day, you know, it's that you know what is uh, um, you know, James Levine of the Mayo Clinic calls it non-exercise activity thermogenesis, and he he did a, they did a great study where they overfed people 500 calories a day. And the people who were just buffering and moving day to day didn't go. gain weight. Yeah. And the people who just were sedentary, the way like most of us are, put on massive amounts of weight overeating that 500 calories. It's like the body knew, I can buffer this, right? right? And I don't think people are realizing that one of the, the biggest things they could do is walk, move around more anytime you can program. And, then, and it sounds back, oh, take the stairs. Well, it's not about taking the stairs. It's about being in move, motion, right? Yeah. That's really the key. And you know, one of the biggest 
you know, transformative practices is a couple of years ago, we just made a commitment to walk to school every day. Mm. So my, my wife and I walk to school and I know we're all busy people, but we're still at work at like, you know, by 8.30, 8.40 in the morning. And uh, but we walk our girls and that's a five kilometer walk every day for us. Right. You know, we walk a 5K every day and I'll, I'm 42. I've had some hard miles on this and I'll, I guarantee you that uh, when I walk a 5K, I'm like, oh, I feel so much better. Isn't that weird? Right. Yeah. We're working. We're, yeah. You know, downward dog, same thing. I mean, uh, yoga sun salutation is a great example of someone trying to solve the problem. Let's get a little motion in there, you know? Right. I'd like to get to the point, hopefully sooner than later, where when you tell the story about the 95-year-old lady that does a full squat and fall wrist doesn't exist to her because she's on the ground all the time, and you say, so what? <laughs> You're like, oh, know, right? she moves oh. like a human. Right. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah, that's right. Right? And at what point were you going to not walk like a human anymore? Right. You know? You know? You know that's, that's a, I think that's a really interesting point is like, you know, what, how much learned disuse we have. You know, when, right. when people have cerebrovascular accidents – you know, will lose function on a side, they'll oftentimes won't use that arm or limb very much and because it's just hard. And so there's a great therapy where they just, it's called, they constrain the, the, the more functional arm and they make the non-side, the, the affected side, work really hard. And guess what? People regain function there, right? Instead of just learned disuse. And I think that really is an interesting model around all the things that we're doing. What's the learned disuse around my ankles and my hips, my back? And now, a brief word from our sponsors. Psych, I'm just joking. Uh, Kelly's battery ran out in mid-conversation there, so we had a little disconnect and then got back on it. Apologize in advance for, uh, there's some sound in the background. There's like somebody eating in the background, talking story with somebody else, and then there's another guy doing like some squat thrust or something. So we hear a little a little ambient noise in the background, which is quite soothing for your soul and spirit. But uh, that's it. Back to the conversation. So you were saying something something great about about stability or proximal distal, something, something. Maybe I threw the proximal distal part in there. But you said stability, and then I lost you. I don't remember what we're talking about. Ah, who cares? <laughs> Um, so before we go, we are running, running out of time. Uh, the big thing that I wanted to make sure that we, we touch on is what the book is, is about, you know, I guess that would be a good way. You know, what's, what's the, like the main premise and how to bring in functional sitting and functional standing into our yeah. life. Well, you know, imagine, you know, two iterations of supple leopard. We're continuing to work in the world. Um, what is the application of the principles to an environment? So we've done a said, okay, here's what we understand about principles that we think are guidelines around the body, around how we sequence, how we brace, right? How we stabilize. Now, what does that look like when you just put that under an environmental demand of the workplace? So instead of saying, right, like, you know, here's the formal movement that you should see in a push-up and pull-up, what does the principle of that shoulder, how does that reflect when I hold my mouse? Right. And what we've tried to do in the book is really give people a really simple plan for saying, hey, look, here are the rudimentary components to how to hinge, how to squat, how to pick up, how to sit with skill, stand with skill. How should we mitigate some of the static positions with gaming and breathing? How can we also create some basic soft tissue work? So that people can undo the ill effects of this staticness, yeah. that either the trauma that they've carried in or the adaptation stiffness that they've carried in. And hey, I've been on my feet all day. 
in these terrible shoes, my feet are stiff, you know, how do we make sense of the cues that our buyers are giving us? And we've tried to wrap that all up into a really simple model. And this, I think, is the most important book work we've ever done. I think this has the potential of really helping people to resolve a lot of dysfunction in their bodies and start to make themselves feel better. A gateway drug, if you will, for uh, you know, even common myofascial problems. I don't think people realize that the pain that they have is somehow related to a position or they have neck cancer, one or the other. But, uh, you know, and can we begin to you know, give them a, a prescription where they're taking it in and starting to control it, and then make sense of it into their own lives? And, you know, we don't have to have 100% buy-in, but if you've read this book or see it, you can start to improve and, you know, and overlay it where it starts to make sense to you. And because the human being is so robust, we'll see it blossom. So that's what we're really trying to do with this book. And um, we're using it as a gateway because you know, all of the profits from the pre-sales are going to the Stand Up Kids Initiative. Right. So we're, we're really just trying to put our money where our mouth is. We see this as a public health issue that we've been lecturing about for almost seven years now and you know, in the public with corporations, with the military. And you know, why aren't we applying it backwards? Yeah, awesome. And so I, at this point, have read all of your books to date. I think I've listened to every interview. I've seen darn near close all your videos. Not all of them, because there's, I mean, it's, you're prolific. <laughs> but, but a lot of them. And I would suggest, you're, as far as folks that I, that I speak with about movement or self-care, or whatever it is, I say, check out AlignTherapy.com. Check out MobilityWad. Right, you know, because I, th it's, it's like always the add-on. Because I really, truly believe in what you do, and and thank you, man. I, I think anyone that's listening is like, please get the book. Honestly, I don't say that about everybody. Like, I, you've changed the way that I work with clients, and it's great. Thanks. Well, I appreciate that, and you know what we know is that um, unequivocally, we, this is not just like a, a pleasantry, but you know, people are really stinking smart, and I think they're smarter than we give them credit for. And I think that when you give people better information, they'll make better decisions. Yeah. Why? Because everyone has their best interest at heart. And you know, to the extent when you, you know, that idea of, hey, we don't blame people, right? It's the idea is, hey, I'm, you come from some system that may be incomplete or you may never have had any training or thinking around this. You know, like I didn't r learn to run until about, you know, nine years ago. You know, and then you know, I was a terrible runner until someone taught me how to run. You know, the rest of the time I was just working it out. Right. And subsequently I had terrible knee pain when I ran. Right. And then Brian McKenzie was like, hey, you don't know how to run. And, and once I learned how to run, if I choose to run poorly, that's on me. Yeah. But now I've been given the information. I think that's where we are right now. Yeah. You know, if we give people better information, they are smart enough to intuit how it's going to impact their lives. And we get those emails daily, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I've had Brian on the show as well, and glad to, so people check that episode out as well because both both perspectives are fantastic. You know, and I think it's it's so nice to hear. It's refreshing to hear you say nine years ago. You know, the supple leopard, Kelly Star. It's like it's so important that people recognize that you were, it's never too late. You know, we're always turning over our fascia. We're always turning over connective yeah. tissue in our bones and you know, our neurology and remyelinating and da da da. You know, it's like every second we are doing this. It's just a matter of making the choice to make that change. So thanks, man. Where do and people it, you know, find and, you? Yeah. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, it's, you know, we're so busy and caught up in our egos and self that we don't realize that we need to make a change until our body gives us a cue that something's not working. And, and those are wonderful 
insight transitional moments into, hey, you know, wow, my knee is blown up or my Achilles is really hurting me. What's going on? Yeah. And, you know, we don't have to be, it's not, it's not that we've, you know, done something foolish. It's just that, boy, now's an opportunity to make sure that we're, we're really looking at the system. You know, our friend um, Jocko Willink, um, W-I-L-L-I-N-K, and um, he has a great book called Extreme Ownership. And I really like his mentality. It's like when cool. something has gone not the way he'd hoped it had gone, he would be like, good. It's an opportunity for me to figure out what's going on. Okay. Oh, you know, something didn't happen. Good. Ah, I tweaked my back deadlifting. Good. Because right. now I understand that my deadlifting technique was incomplete. Right. You know, and I think that's what I want people to understand is that, look, we have time to run this experiment. And the experiment's running whether you're, you are engaged in it or not. So you might as well start manipulating the variables and see what the outcome is. Yeah. That's simple. Yeah, extreme ownership. Ben Franklin quote, final quote of the podcast. Uh, people that are really good at making excuses are seldom good at anything else. Extreme ownership. <laughs> it is. I dig it. So wherever you'll find you, check out Kelly immediately, please. We are, you know, at Mobility Wad. Um, we have a we're we have our on our level one course is going live on the internet. We're really stoked about that. We've realized that we need to make the learning principles underneath BSL, a companion course that will be on the internet. We'll launch that in the next month or so. Right now we've filmed seven, we have 72 lectures, nine hours of videos and lots of follow-up questions and, and pictures so people can start to spin up. We're launching a level two course to make MWOD performance coaches, some basic manual skills and techniques for non-provider therapists so that we can bridge the gap between hey, what's happening with my ankles when I'm running and squatting and jumping and landing and waiting until something breaks, right? Um, you know, there's just there's a ton going on. It's really, really a good time in human performance, physical self-actualization. We just have to... We just have to see how it all weaves together a little bit better. Cool. This has been a fun interview because it's been like a like a safari through your life. We got to we got people eating in the background. We got people thrusting weights. I'm sure it's very nice. Um, thanks for coming on, man. Appreciate it. It's great, man. Pleasure. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning into the podcast. I greatly appreciate your comments and your shares in iTunes. They determine the ranking and the visibility of the show and they make me smile. So I look forward to reading those guys. Be sure to check out the website aligntherapy.com. That's A-L-I-G-N therapy.com. On there you can find my blog, you can find this podcast, more information about the topics and the, and the uh, guests that we've had on the show. You can find hundreds of absolutely free instructional videos on self-care, functional movement, how to get strong, how to get fast, how to get exactly what you want out of your body. You can check out the online coaching where we work, how, work out how to optimize your movement practice so that you can live optimally and pain-free for the rest of your life. As well, be sure to check out the self-care kit where it is as small enough to fit underneath the seat in your car. And it's like a physical therapist and massage therapist all wrapped up into one package. I know you guys are going to love the website. I know you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. And I look forward to hearing your comments. All right. Bye. Thank you for listening. And remember to join the movement by subscribing to the podcast. If the information has been helpful, please share and leave your comments in iTunes. Aaron personally reads each one and it makes all the work worthwhile. Together, we will make a difference and continue to bring more powerful and inspiring messages to the world. Align Podcast.